If you nerd out about all things science, then you should definitely be listening to Radiolab, a podcast from WNYC, hosted by Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser. Radiolab's goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Whether it's chemistry, politics, new technologies, or ancient beliefs, Radiolab's rigorous curiosity gets you the answers so you can see the world in a new way. Take an adventure to the edge of what you think you know with Radiolab. Listen right here in your podcast player. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz, the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. This is the story of the Watergate tapes. They have, their investigation is now leading into some productive areas. This is an excerpt of a secret recording in 1972 of President Richard Nixon's chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, updating the president about the FBI's continuing investigation into the Watergate scandal. Uh, also, there have been some While it's hard to hear, this is the infamous smoking gun tape, the recording of Nixon discussing the illegal Watergate break-in. This tape was like a smoking gun at a crime scene that had Nixon's fingerprints all over it. Just over 40 years ago, a startling series of events in our nation's political history took place. Almost everyone has heard about the Watergate scandal, but many don't know what really happened, why it's called Watergate, and how our lives are different today because of it. Here's Nixon himself commenting on the break-in. It's this piece of audio that led to the downfall of the 37th president of the United States. Before we dive into the details of this tape, let's rewind and find out how we got here. Before this scandal, the law was completely different. Nixon personally owned these tapes, not the U.S. government. Despite the fact that recording without consent or knowledge was illegal, it was still pretty common in the White House. We now know that presidents back to FDR in 1940 taped. And so did Truman and Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson. Nixon was actually continuing a long trend that had started over 30 years before. That's Luke Nichter, an associate professor of history at Texas A&M. He's also a historian and has been listening to, transcribing, and digitizing the White House tapes of Richard Nixon. What I've heard is that Nixon, after he was elected in November of 68, he had the typical meeting, the incoming president with the outgoing president. On the tour that Johnson gave Nixon of the White House, it included his taping system. You ought to have something like this for yourself to have your record. But Nixon obviously had the system torn out and didn't use it. I mean, ultimately replaced with a far more sophisticated system. Nixon had the U.S. Secret Service install a state-of-the-art Sony tape recorder, with microphones hidden in the Oval Office, cabinet room, and other places where he would have private conversations. Unfortunately, the people running the system day-to-day and putting the new reels on didn't have the same understanding and weren't as sophisticated. They are basically going to People's Drug and DuPont Circle and buying the cheapest kinds of tapes. You can use a thin little tape... And so the result of having this thin little tape is not only has it not held up very well over years, the originals are reportedly in pretty bad shape, but also the quality's terrible. As little as putting a saucer or a teacup down on a desk where the microphones are embedded 
sounds like an earthquake. Despite the low-quality tapes the Secret Service chose to use, Nixon's recording technology was different from Johnson's in a very key way. What Nixon did was also different in a couple of respects, because Nixon's was the first one that was sound-activated. Taping systems prior to Nixon, Kennedy's and Johnson's, had to be turned on and off for every conversation. So obviously it was turned on when it suited the president's interest, and it was turned off when it suited the president's interest. Nixon, for all his other faults, was someone who loved history. I think he thought that it was unfair to history, that you needed to capture everything. Nixon wore a device similar to a pager that was issued to him by the Secret Service. If it came within range of one of the microphones, it would come on automatically. Sometimes Nixon would leave his jacket in the Oval Office and he'd go out to the Rose Garden. Sometimes we get his dogs barking. We get cleaning crews. We get tour groups. We get staffers setting up or tearing down a meeting. We get the whirring blades of Marine One, the presidential helicopter. You get all kinds of other things that aren't really historical, but also tell you a lot about history. Some of the most fascinating parts of the Nixon tapes are meetings that weren't even political in nature. It was almost as if he was the host of his own private talk show. The president talks to celebrities and musicians and pop culture figures, world leaders. The president talks to everybody. When someone's in there who you think like, I can't believe Nixon's talking to Ray Charles, and then tells the story that I'm not sure I've read anywhere else. And they're only there on the tapes. Nixon always interrupts everybody he talks to. For several minutes, he didn't interrupt Charles. You can tell he liked the story. When Ray Charles got done telling the story, Nixon said, now that was a great story. What the tapes are, more than just politics or Nixon, they're time capsule of Americana. I mean, you've got Johnny Cashin talking about prison reform. You've got all these people who you would never think Nixon would be talking. I mean, Nixon, the cardboard cutout, stoic, the ultimate square in the 1960s. And the tapes reveal so many more dimensions about someone. Another interesting visitor to the Nixon White House was Elvis Presley. Elvis wore a purple velvet suit with a large gold belt buckle, along with his trademark sunglasses. He also brought along a gift, a Colt 45 pistol but in a display case. According to a Nixon aide's notes of the meeting, Elvis asked the president for a badge from the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, and within an hour, it was done. But while Elvis was invited into the Oval Office, unfortunately, his visit occurred two months before Nixon's recording devices were installed. Besides Nixon, the Secret Service, and a few White House aides, the recording system was entirely secret. Perhaps for Nixon, the historical record was more important than the privacy rights of those being recorded. If the president is meeting with somebody, 
usually the lowest ranking person is taking minutes or notes. If they're really skilled, it can look almost like a transcript, but ultimately edited out for political content, gossip, language. Taping changed the way the White House worked. With the tapes rolling, Nixon changed the way he conducted business. He would say to, say, the Soviet General Secretary Leonid Brezhnev, come into the Oval Office. We'll just talk candidly. No staff present, no notes. We'll just talk like old friends. And he did this time and again. Because of the recording system, these types of intimate conversations may have led to political progress between the two nations. These, for the most part, have never been transcribed, never been published. Most people don't know where these are at on the tapes. These are incredible conversations because, in this case, the tapes aren't just supplementing the traditional record, they are the record. Another interesting moment we have on tape is a conversation between Nixon and his wife, Pat, in which they discuss a pair of pandas being brought from China to the National Zoo. We announced today that the pandas would go to the Washington place. And I think it's fine. Everybody was pleased with it. The weather's good here. It's not quite as cold as it probably ought to be. It could be another way, but but they can live in this kind of weather. And so it's a good story. And we said that uh, you and I both had Nixon's excitement to share the news about the pandas with his wife shows a different side to the president than most of us ever hear about. All thanks to the tapes. In the two and a half years that the recordings took place, a lot happened. Nixon was re-elected in a landslide. The recorded conversations involving the campaign are some of the most authentic accounts of election politics we have on record. Other important events included the Vietnam War, huge domestic reforms like the first Earth Day, the creation of the EPA, the beginning of Amtrak, the Endangered Species Act, the Wilderness Act, the Clean Air Act, and the Clean Water Act. People don't question the money we carry in our wallet. In August of 1971, the U.S. dollar went off the gold standard, which many economic historians credit as the beginning of globalization. Again, attributed to Nixon and taking us off the gold standard, and all those conversations, how that happened, why, and when, are all in the Nixon tapes. Nixon became so comfortable with his recording system that the few people that did know about it felt he almost forgot it was there. That allows us now to listen to a president unfiltered and unrestrained. But it also led to the most detrimental piece of audio in political history, the smoking gun tape. This tape would mark the beginning of the end of the Watergate scandal, an event that started a two-year courtroom and political saga that not only changed history, but still impacts the way we discuss scandals today. But what exactly was the Watergate scandal? We'll get to that in just a moment. The hardest part of starting a business is coming up with a great idea. For every air fryer, video doorbell, or smart speaker that's sold in huge numbers, there are thousands of others that never made it. So that's the hard part. Now, here's the easy part. Selling online with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. You don't need to know how to code or understand anything about design. And you definitely don't need a degree in accountancy. Just choose the template you like, upload some descriptions and images, and you're ready to start selling. You're probably already using Shopify and don't even realize it. That's because according to their own data, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. 
huge companies like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen use Shopify, along with millions of other entrepreneurs from 175 countries around the world. Here's how you can get started. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash 20K, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash 20K now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash 20K. This episode is sponsored by Factor, a chef-prepared meal delivery service that I've used for years. Ever since I became a dad, I've noticed two things that are much more important to me. The first is time. The more free time I have to spend with my family, the happier I am. The second thing is health. I need to stay healthy not only for myself, but for everyone around me. And Factor is a big help with all of these. First, Factor saves me so much time. I get delicious meals delivered right to my door that are ready to eat in only two minutes. On busy days, the time I save on shopping, prep, and cooking is a total lifesaver. And then there's the health side. Factor offers 35 nutrient-dense options to choose from every week, including options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and more. Basically, whatever your dietary needs are, Factor's got you covered. Head to factormeals.com slash TTH50 and use code TTH50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TTH50 at factormeals.com slash TTH50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This episode is sponsored by the Tools and Weapons Podcast, a show that tackles the toughest challenges at the intersection of tech and society. The show is hosted by Brad Smith, the vice chair and president of Microsoft. On the show, Brad speaks with leaders in government, business, and culture about issues like cybersecurity, AI, sustainability, and human rights. On a recent episode, Brad chatted with a digital modeling expert named Eve Ubelman. His company has developed a game-changing technique for making precise digital twins of architectural spaces. In the episode, Eve tells Brad how these models can preserve endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail. For instance, the company used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to make a full-scale digital twin of Venice, Italy. As a city that's threatened by climate change and over-tourism, these models will allow Venice to be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay up to date on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Despite his overwhelming electoral victory in 1972 and his numerous accomplishments in office, to many people, Nixon's ultimate legacy comes down to one word, Watergate. Watergate is part of pop culture today. Everyone knows the term Watergate, but if you actually pin them down to say, well, what do you know about Watergate? It's kind of this scandal or scandal culture that was created in Washington. So while every scandal, it seems like, since Watergate has this suffix gate appended to it, very few people can actually tell you much about the original gate, Watergate. In its most basic element, Watergate was a break-in that took place in the early morning hours of June 17, 1972, in the Watergate office complex which housed the offices of the Democratic National Committee. Five burglars, some of whom were former CIA agents, were found to have had ties to President Richard Nixon's Committee to Re-elect the President. The break-in involved the installation and maintenance of wiretapping devices that could listen in on the affairs of the Democratic National Committee. 
what we then learned later was there had been prior break-ins. The speculation is what they were doing on the 17th was they weren't planting bugs, they were fixing bugs that had been planted on a previous break-in. What we learned was there had been other break-ins, including this exact location, this exact team of burglars. During the campaign of 72, breaking and entering was a political device. To this day, we still don't have definitive answers in terms of who ordered the break-in, why they broke in when they did, or what they were looking for. In hindsight, we look back, and anybody who can use Wikipedia sees, didn't Nixon win in a landslide in 72? Why did his people need to be doing this silly thing? The Watergate break-in spurred numerous investigations into the Nixon administration's involvement with the event. Senator Howard Baker is famously quoted as saying, What did the president know? And when did he know it? It was all hearsay and conflicting testimony, until the discovery of Nixon's White House recordings. Over a two-year period, investigations into the Watergate scandal uncovered Nixon's secret taping system. In 1974, the Supreme Court ruled Nixon must release the tapes to a special prosecutor, leading to the discovery of some very important recordings. Anybody who Googles smoking gun and Watergate or the Nixon tapes, there is a recording that's called the smoking gun tape. Ultimately, this and a handful of other tapes were the most damaging to Nixon. Well, we protected health on hell of a lot of things. That's what everything starts. This is a uh, uh, hunt that'll uncover a lot of legal net scatters on a lot of things. And then we just feel that this would be very detrimental to have this thing going further. This involves these Cubans and uh, a lot of hanky panky that we have nothing to do with ourselves. What the tape reveals was that Nixon was aware of a cover-up of the Watergate break-in. In other words, that he and that his White House staff had knowledge of a break-in and that they were actively doing things to conceal the purpose much earlier than he said in public statements. And beyond that, that he was willing to use the CIA to possibly block the FBI investigation of Watergate. Here's Haldeman again, updating Nixon on the status of the investigation. to listening to what was on the tapes, technology again played a huge role. But this time, because of how we consumed news in the era, there was no internet, no YouTube, and no way to share the recordings with the general public. The only way to hear what was on the tapes was to actually sit in the courtroom. You read news accounts of the time, it's kind of fascinating, when the tapes were eventually used in litigation. People would wait up around the block of the courthouse. This could be the only time you can hear tapes. The news accounts were fascinating because people would wait all day, overnight, they'd sleep on the sidewalk to be one of the 55 or whatever it was who could sit in the public part of the courtroom. The press accounts are great because they say things like, 
Today is the only time we will ever hear these conversations. Of course, now we look back 40 years later and think, well, thanks to the internet and technology, anybody can listen to these in their own homes or on their own mobile device. But at the time, this was so earth shattering that a president had this veil of like a monarch. I think Watergate and the tapes, in a sense, tore the veil in half and made the president more human. Within 10 days, even the most diehard supporters of Nixon, the Republican Party, and they were dwindling, gave up their case at that point. Within two weeks, Nixon resigned. Good evening. President Nixon reportedly will announce his resignation tonight. And Vice President Ford will become the nation's 38th president tomorrow. President Nixon released transcripts uh, which revealed that he did indeed know the details of the Watergate uh, break-in. During the afternoon, the president did more work on his speech. He began clearing out his desk. White House aides said privately, quote, it is over. Some secretaries wept. This is indeed an historic day, the only time a president uh, has ever resigned from office in our nearly 200 years of history. Good evening. This is the 37th time I have spoken to you from this office, where so many decisions have been made that shape the history of this nation. Each time I have done so to discuss with you some matter that I believe affected the national interest. In all the decisions I have made in my public life, I have always tried to do what was best for the nation. One of the lures of Watergate is that the cover-up's always greater than the crime. In this case, it was true for Nixon. It really was his behavior during the cover-up period that ultimately did him in. The question for many still remains. Since the tapes were ultimately his downfall, why did Nixon secretly record himself in the first place? The best answer I can give is that Nixon wanted his record of what was said to whom and when. That he knew that those around him would go write their own memoirs, they would have their own histories. You have to remember, the law was totally different. These tapes were his personal property, and he could have destroyed them, he could have dumped them in the Pacific. That was okay. During Watergate, that would look bad, but he was entitled to do that. Today, the law completely errs on the other side that everything a president does is public, public record that should be in the archives one day. And I think Nixon wanted his record. He wanted to retire. He wanted to write his multi-volume memoirs like Winston Churchill did after World War II. These were going to be his history that he was going to settle scores one day with this. Nixon's unfortunate legacy is being the only president in U.S. history to resign. After countless documentaries, TV shows, books, and articles about the Watergate scandal, it would seem that the story has been completely written. Or has it? 3,451 hours were recorded. Just around 3,000 hours have been released to date. We have this 500 plus hours that have never been released. All these court records that have never been released because they're serving to protect someone. To put a time frame on this, it typically takes 30 to 50 years to get some records declassified, if ever at all. 
It's taken over 100 years just to release the clothes Abraham Lincoln was wearing on the day he was assassinated in 1865 at the Ford's Theater. A couple years ago, there was a World War I document that was declassified and thought, what could possibly still be secret from World War I? This document obviously had some continued operational use for many years to justify its ongoing classification. So in this case, the only way you can get records like this that are kind of in a legal limbo is to find a friendly judge to issue a ruling to open them. Luke has actually been working on this issue for several years, which could blow the lid off of some yet unknown details of the Watergate scandal. It's still a matter that's before the judge, Judge Royce Lamberth in Washington. This is an ongoing petition now. As a historian, my fingers are crossed that one day we'll have all the records released, so stay tuned. Watergate changed so much about American politics and our nation. The various ways we consume media, how politicians go about their duties, and what constitutes privacy has all been impacted by a tape recorder that was hidden in the basement of the White House. It made journalists into heroes and really launched the field of modern investigative journalism as we know it. A whole generation of young people wanted to go into journalism. The legal structure really changed. New laws scrutinizing public access and records. It was a break-in that occurred in 1972, but it also was a bigger, more transformative event in U.S. history. People as stakeholders in our democracy became more active and called to account our elected officials. Ultimately, it was a watershed moment. It changed the political landscape. It changed investigative journalism and it changed the relationship between the American people and their government. Twenty Thousand Hertz is produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound, a sound design team that makes television, film, and games sound incredible. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Kevin Eds. And me, Dallas Taylor. With help from Sam Sneebly. It was sound designed and mixed by Colin DeVarney. Many thanks to Luke Nichter, author of The Nixon Tapes and founder of nixontapes.org. Check it out for more info. Also, this episode only scratches the surface of the nuances of Watergate and The Nixon Tapes. If this piqued your interest, there are tons of movies, books, and Wikipedia articles waiting for you. All of the music in this episode is provided by our friends at Musicbed. You can listen to these tracks, including this one, Long Weeks by Dexter Britton, on our exclusive playlist, which you can find at music.20k.org. Continue the Nixon conversation on Facebook and Twitter. You can also drop us a note with show ideas, comments, or other random thoughts at hi at 20k.org. If this is the first time you've heard 20,000 Hertz, take a moment to go subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. There are lots of great other episodes about recognizable and interesting sounds similar to this one. And for those of you who are already a subscriber, please tell all your friends about it. As always, thanks for listening.